bones are amazing things. They hold us up. They support us. They make us strong. But bones have other uses. In the past, bones were thrown by diviners, seeking out the mysteries of the future. Now the bones are cubes, made of plastic or resin. But they still reveal things to us. As they fall from our fingers and rattle across the table, the story becomes clear. Welcome to Bone Thrower's Theater, an RPG actual play podcast. And welcome to episode 200, 200 of Bone Thrower's wow. Theater. Amazeballs. Yes, and my name is Jeremy. And I am Jordan. I'm Carlin. This is Jeff. This is Johnny. Yay! So we actually have a very old face sitting with us at the table. <laughs> yeah, very old face. <laughs> Not that old. It's all wrinkly with gray hair and... What hair is left? <laughs> <laughs> well, what happened is I went back in time and I actually lived my life as I wanted it. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm glad that you got to do that, sir. <laughs> what a beautiful ending. Yeah. Mm. All right, Steve. But no, Carlin, Carlin is sitting in with us because this is our 200th episode. If you count all of, all of Chair Proximus, all yeah. of Angel's, Angel's Guard, Guard, and the beginning of, yeah. Elements of War. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we've we've done 200 episodes and all the one shots, yeah. all of the fiasco, the Cosmic Patrol, uh, and now we're going to introduce a, probably the oldest indie game that we've played up to this point. Uh, this game was actually copyrighted 2003 originally and it was re-released in 2006 so this is probably one of the oldest games that we've played up to this point in terms of like one shots and stuff yes. like that this is a millennial game though yeah it really is age wise yes so this game that we are playing is called my life with master and i think it's going to be a very good fit for our group uh because it's basically the gm has carte blanche to mess with the players it's like the movie quills <laughs> Actually, they do mention the movie Quills in this. In oh, this, seriously? They do. That was an amazing yeah. movie. Um, the Marquis de Sade actually gets a, a straight-out call-out in the in the book. Um, it, this is a gothic horror RPG. And so yes. it starts off a little less dark and goes on. The basic premise is that we have a master. The master is a is the villain of the game. And he is an NPC that is played by the Game Master. And what Master is not complete without his minions? Don't even start. <laughs> We're not talking about the little yellow dudes with funny overalls and weird glasses. We're talking about your Renfields. We're talking about... Your Igors. Your Igors. Your Igors. Your, your Frankenstein's <laughs> monster. Yeah. These are the, the creatures that do the bidding of the Master. And the subtitle of the game is great. It is a role-playing game of villainy, self-loathing, and unrequited love. And that really boils down how the game is go going to go in a lot of ways. The, the master, who I am really looking forward to playing... I'm sure. <laughs> ...is going to tell you all to do things that are not good. Hmm. And you're going to leave the castle, and you're going to go Kill down... Kill kittens. You might. You might. Kick puppies. With flamethrowers. Yes. I'm game. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> well, it, do it doesn't look like uh, Jeff's playing a role, then. <laughs> so, anyway, the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to work together to create the master. 
There are two characteristics that are going to apply to the master here. The first characteristic is that the master is always single. Perhaps widowed, maybe engaged to be married, but never currently married. And also, a well-constructed master has good grounds for insecurity, a passion to transcend it, and a certain amount of egomania. None of those qualities I have. Oh. <laughs> well, we would need to bring in Jackie, your wife, yeah, yeah. to figure that one out. <laughs> There's a couple different things that we're, we're going to need to create the master. An aspect, a type, the wants, and the needs. Those are the, those are the four things that make up the master. So for the aspect, there are two different choices. There is the brain, and there is the beast. The brain is influenced by conversation and wants to influence others by language. His pleasures and manners are perhaps veneered with gentility, as the book says, and more importantly, his personality is colored by a rationalization that there's something good embedded in his monstrous endeavors. So if you want to think of a, a master that has a brain aspect, I would go to Full Metal Alchemist and say that the Sewing Life Alchemist is probably a brain master. Okay. Because he, he very much has a motivation. Yeah. That motivation is to be able to bring back his wife in some form or fashion. Got it. Mm -hmm. Or Mr. Freeze. Yeah. yeah. From Mr. Batman Freeze Robin. is yeah. another great master. You know, if you want to go to a, like, a better film thing, that's a joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a no. <laughs> well, so I actually have heard this game played as my life with Joker. Where the Joker uh, is the is the master, and his henchmen are his minions. The second a aspect is the Beast Master, and the Beast Master isn't going around and taming animals and Aww. capturing Pikachu's and Pokemon and stuff like that. <laughs> the Beast Master is influenced by physical and primal interactions, by sexual contents. Nope. Uh, curious gustatory pleasures in sadistic and machistic exchanges. He will act to influence others in physical, more primal ways, perhaps through inflicting pain. So, like well, that explains why you said that Pennywise would be more a beastmaster. <laughs> yeah, Pennywise would be a beastmaster. <laughs> I know which one you're pulling for, Jordan. Oh, really? Which one am I pulling for? <laughs> the beast. <laughs> I don't know. The Either. beatings will continue until morale improves. <laughs> I don't know. He does, like, inflicting mental damage as much as yeah. he inflicts physical yeah. damage. So, I did some very, very psychologically mean things to you all during Angel's Guard. Yes. Well, and also yeah. during, during Terra, Terra, Proxima, Terra yeah. Proxima. So far also, during uh, Elements of War. You've yeah. destroyed me in Elements of War. So, okay. so, so, oh, spoilers. <laughs> Just my brother being a nasty, nasty person. Yes. So are we voting on yeah, which Jeff, of these two we think should, it should <gasps> be? I didn't do a thing. <laughs> I know, that's sort of the me. problem. Oh, no. Burn. <laughs> So do you want to, would you guys like to vote on uh, yeah. which one, or do you, do you, does one sound better than the other to you all? I'd prefer the brain. Me too. I, I yeah. think it makes for more creative yeah. situations. Yeah. Going with brain. That's right. To Jordan Shingrin. Actually, I was hoping for brains. Okay. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Something tells me he was going to say he was hoping for Beast if we chose that. <laughs> Part of the manipulation. I it's already started. Yeah. I prepared for both. I don't doubt that. Yeah. 
just to go into my preparation for today, I actually watched a documentary series on Ted Bundy. Wow, um, nude. <laughs> you weren't yet again. <laughs> Third session in a row. We're talking about Jordan with no clothes. Do you guys have like a fascination that you want to tell me about? Because... Well, we didn't pick Beast, so no. no. <laughs> okay. Uh, there are four different types. And we'll go ahead and go over those first before we go over needs and wants. There are simple classifications of the horrific endeavors of the masters. Feeder, breeder, collector, and teacher. To give some examples from history, film, and literature, it should be noted that thinking about types as a rigid classification is counterproductive and ultimately unsatisfying. The feeder type is pretty much about personal sustenance at the expense of townspeople. They might need to be like that of a vampire to be for nourishment, to sustain physical vitality, or it might be a monstrous addiction like Countess Elizabeth Bathory's obsession with the topical application of blood. She is arguably a feeder of the beast type. Vampires have to be considered the archetype of the feeder. So Dracula, the red cord vampires, the mm. white cord vampires, yes, especially definitely. if you, you want to look at Jim Butcher's. Then there's the breeder who wants to make life. So again, the sewing life alchemist, he's a breeder because he's making life out of something. Victor Frankenstein is a breeder uh, because he's trying to put together people, someone from, from body parts. And like that would be a brain aspect as well. Mm -hmm. A collector, um, a good example of a collector would be P.T. Barnum. Mm. You know, someone who collected all sorts of oddities and brought them together. The distinction between the, the brain and the beast aspects for collector type is that the level of why they collect and what they collect. Barnum personifies the brain aspect seemingly out of twisted cerebral motives simply to have and be known for having the most impressive collection. Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs could be seen as a collector. Mm -hmm. uh, because he wants specific things, but I would I would put him more in the beast category. Yeah, I would too. The teacher would be going back to Silence of the Lambs. Hannibal Lecter would be a brain teacher, mm -hmm. and then a beast teacher would be someone who would want to teach them in the ways of doing horrible things. I would assume. So um, again, like uh, the the white court <clears throat> vampires. Mm -hmm. Yeah, from because they Files. they take their young and they break them physically yep. to become white court vampires. Yeah. And Jeffrey Rush's Marquis de Sade and Quills is a teacher as well, though difficult to categorize definitively as either brain or beast. You know, kind of a mix. Yeah, because he does a, a bit of both. Those are the four. Breeder, collector, teacher. What was the first one again? Feeder. Feeder. Yeah. Uh, I personally like collector. Collector? Collector seems cool. I did have an idea about feeder. Just throwing it out. I'm not married to it. Just the... Um, if it was like a twist on vampire, but instead of feeding on actual blood, fed on like language and would like take people's words. Interesting. Like feed cool. off having conversation and sap people's word comprehension. So if you want usage. if you want an example of that, and this is a weird one, Ursula from mm -hmm. I mean, from The Little Mermaid. I was thinking more mm -hmm. of Good point. And Buffy the Vampire Slayer, mm -hmm. whenever the uh these demons just took all sound. Yeah. Like I said, just an idea. Not married to it. 
I was either thinking collector or feeder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those two. Collector's cool too. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> you can go a lot of places with collector, especially with the brain. Yeah. 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 So it sounds like collector is the winner. Yeah, Although I like your your idea of yeah, that's a cool idea. Yeah, mm-hmm. feel free to use that. So we know what's going to be in uh, upcoming episodes of Elements of War. <laughs> you should create a character like that oh. in that campaign. Yeah, and then literally and there would be certain yeah, words they... that characters can't use. That would be amazing. Oh, that's going to happen. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> All right, and so going back to needs or wants, now that we have the brain and the collector, the role of the minions is to pursue the needs on behalf of the master. So needs are understood to be what the master would want from the townspeople, because we're going to be creating a whole army of PCs here who live in the town below the castle, and that's where you go out and you do your naughty things. Naughty things. Needs also inform the roles that the minions will play in the master's household. For example, a master who needs human tissue samples for his work on the creation of artificial life might, for instance, have a minion who is a trusted homunculus. Perhaps he has a coachman and a bodyguard when he does field work or a lab assistant. And whereas needs directly trigger instability in the society of the townspeople, wants are what the master could have had from outsiders. And we'll talk about outsiders in a moment. So do we need to define like specifics so, of what he's trying so, to collect? Yeah, we're we're trying to. From what I'm seeing is we're, we've got a collector who's a, a rather brainy kind of guy. So he wants to collect something from the townspeople, and then we figure out what that is, and then we determine why, and that's the need. You could go more physical of like yeah. a collection of body parts or something like yeah. that, but you could also go less physical and be like a collection of memories or something. Oh, yeah. Or kind of like Dumbledore's like memory well thing where oh, he like yeah. pulls memories out of his head and stuff. And that has stores a lot of potential. Them. Or STDs. Collect <laughs> <laughs> STDs. Yes, I would like your STD, please. <laughs> and which one do you have? Mm, that sounds good. I'll have that. <laughs> oh. Oh, it's like that movie Antiviral. <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Great movie. If we want to go with just like creep factor with physical stuff, like collector of like earwax. Back left smaller on the top. <laughs> I was no. thinking teeth. Because that's more, that would go more the gore that would, route. That would, get, that would get more bestial in my yeah. mind. True. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think that we're, we're trying to collect something that is ineffable. Well, although if it's physical collection of like people's body parts, you could use the brain aspect to talk people into hacking off their own limbs and giving them freely. Collection of fingerprints. Nose hair trimmings. <laughs> <laughs> I notice you have large nose hairs. Would you like to use my bathroom to trim? <laughs> you don't need your earwax. Thanks. <laughs> Try and make me some candles. I'm going to say that he collects faces. I love it. So like death masks? Mm-hmm. It could be like that. It yeah. could be physically cutting faces off. Or it could be like people's recognition of faces. Like mm-hmm. facial recognition. So that yeah, it, instead it, of seeing a person, you can see a, like a blur yeah, I mean, it as could, her face. That could go a lot of different ways, collecting faces. 
<laughs> I believe he collects faces because he wants to assume other people's identities. He wants their faces because he wants to be able to become other people. So he, he wants to understand people in a very deep and intimate way. And he believes that if he has their faces, then he can become that person. So just living multiple lives, really. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, let's go ahead and give this guy a name. Some call me Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with Russian names. Russian? Yeah. Maybe something like a Vladimir Tutin or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with Vasily. Yes, Vaseline. <laughs> Vaseline and Vix. <laughs> we'll go with Petrov. Vasily Petrov. Vaseline. Petrol. <laughs> it's all from the same thing. Yep. <laughs> Why did we bring you around? <laughs> I, was, I was thinking the same, same thing. thing. As you yeah. said Vaseline, I was like, oh, Vaseline petroleum. Yeah. <laughs> petroleum jelly. Yeah. Yes. All right. Good thing we didn't face the Russian. Yeah, no kidding. The Russian oil magnet. So now they're, let's go ahead and talk about the outsiders. What ultimately drives in master is the opinion of a group of other people. And the playgroup must decide in collective terms who these outsiders are. Emilio Estevez, Charlie Sheen, <laughs> Ralph Patrick <Macchio>. Swayze. <laughs> yeah, Ralph Macchio. We do this one for Johnny. A master who endeavors at the creation of artificial life might ultimately be seeking the recognition and inclusion of a group of bizarre alchemists. Or perhaps alternately to disprove the abiding negative opinions of his more worldly siblings. An aging master who, who pursues horrific means of sustaining his youthful stage talents would likely be courting the opinions of the sophisticated theater-going elite. A master may need to draw the blood of the living for sustenance, but want the romantic interest of selected victims. So I think the outsiders are tied with this idea of identity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to say that the outsiders are a court, the court of shape-changers. Each member of the court has the ability to change into something different. Like one can only change into foxes. But I was thinking that it was a group of spies. Okay. That would fit with the face changing. Yeah. yeah. And why you would want to change your face. So instead of instead of the quarter shape changers, um, the intelligence or the spy masters. The Angel's Guard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Kevin Sorbo and the janitors. Doing a <laughs> court of janitors. Doing a court of janitors. Kevin Sorbo and the janitors sounds like a rock band. It does. <laughs> Maybe that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get into the band, Kevin Sorbo and the janitors. Somehow I think that's a different tone than what we're going to. <laughs> that could be pretty horrific. We'll call them the spy masters and leave it at that. I like that idea that we're using the term spy masters for janitors, right? Yes. <laughs> In this world. <laughs> yes. So what if the the kind of spy network type thing has to do with just like blackmailing people in order to get various things? Instead of it being like the level of like political intrigue or like nation state versus nation state type things maybe it's just gaining like social power mm -hmm. yeah. and societal power through 
knowing embarrassing things about everyone. Yeah. And you can know embarrassing things about people if you can walk into their town or their home without really being noticed as someone who's an aristocrat. Yeah. Right. So we're going to go ahead and keep with like a standard early 19th century Europe type of setting. Kind of a little bit more Eastern Europe. Very um, gothic. Very gothic, yeah. It is a setting characterized by a pronounced conflict between reason and romanticism, with the masters as one of the primary agents of romanticism to threaten the setting. A master is a glorious force of emotion and imagination whose priorities stand in direct opposition to common sense. And so in deciding on the setting, the playgroup should consider such things as crumbling old castles and churches, dank underground crypts, overgrown estate buildings, natural caves, moldering theaters, and dense grottos. Finally, the group must decide on starting numeric values for fear and reason. As a general guideline, a particularly horrific and fearsome master projects a fear of five or more, and a weaker master projects a fear of three or less. High values for reason relative to fear make for shorter games, and reason greater than fear will increase the incidence of connections responding favorably to emotional overtures from minions. So that's a lot so of... So do we fear or respect him? I like to think that you guys think I'm an amazing person. So fear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an amazing person, whether you like it or not. As a non-character, I feel like I would respect this person more. Because they live in a castle? Well, no, because their goal is to better themselves. But do you think that I am a, a horrific and fearsome master? Or do you think I am a little bit less on the fear side of things? I mean, I feel like from the brain aspect of things, it seems more like a respect. So more yeah. the, higher on the reason than the fear. Yeah. yeah. Very talking us into things. Or, I mean, are we able to kind of pick it in the middle? Like a little bit of fear, a little bit of respect? Well, yeah. yeah. I think that's a bit of a given. But, but I think we're going with the reason is highly, more higher balance than the fear, right? Okay. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So reason is a representation of the influence of the townspeople within the environment. Fear is the representation of the whole of the master's presence and its penetration as a threatening force into the environment. Minions are in some respect empowered by fear and also victimized by it. So how how much does the town fear me? Now does the town know of your collections? Yeah. yeah. I would imagine that yes, they do know to a certain extent. Like vague rumors. Like there are people who disappear and no reason is known as to why. I mean if you want to go with the number like four. Well, if people are disappearing, I think it would be a little bit higher. Well, yeah. But do they know why people are disappearing? So you put it like a five. For fear. Five? You want to yeah, just five. 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 For the sake of a one-shot, the higher the fear means that the town's at a bit of a boil. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, like, so things have been go- not been going right in the town for a while now. And they're trying mm-hmm. to figure out yeah. why. And then you said the higher the reason versus the fear determine will help determine the length of the game. Yeah, essentially. Seven. That's what I thought. Okay. Seven sounds like a nice number. It's a nice round number. Yes, exactly. <laughs> There's no rounds. Round anything about seven. Seven is a rather pointy number. <laughs> Especially since I add in the crossbar. Yeah, uh, and that's pretty much the setup for the master. The life of a minion is not an easy one. They are shunned for their frightening visage and disfigured bodies. 
for their mental and physical scars and their horrific afflictions, and for their bizarre asocial behaviors. They are literally, in the most cinematic sense, creatures of darkness. Foremost, it should be understood, though, that they are human. They have feelings. They are desperate to be happy. And they suffer horribly under the control of the master. Makes me so happy inside. So despite appearances, they are not vicious or inhuman monsters, but rather tragic in their way. So example, the Hunchback of Notre Dame is perhaps the arch archetypical minion. Mm -hmm. He's misshapen, but he's human, and he suffers terribly under the control of Dom Frollo. But he's also homeless now. <laughs> so self-loathing and weariness are two of the three numeric stats that describe minions in my life with Master. A third is love, which is covered later in the chapter. All three will fluctuate over the course of play, so the task of the character creation is about setting their initial values. As it is with fear and reason, minions will be empowered and victimized by their self-loathing and weariness. Self-loathing measures how much a minion has come to think he is really a monster. It will hinder a minion from resisting the commands of the master, but aid when a minion would commit violence against town people, outsiders, or other minions, or otherwise act in ways that create horror among the polite folk. And it will tend to produce painful and tragic outcomes when a minion makes overtures to connections. Weariness provides a more subtle benefit. It both increases the likelihood a minion will fail and sustain wounds when committing acts of violence, and it hinders resisting the master, but it doesn't have any negative effect on making overtures to connections, which is significant, uh, since the master will likely die at the hands of the minions who gains the most love from overtures with nice outcomes. A player divides three points between weariness and self-loathing for his minion character and may put all three points into one of them, if he so wishes, leaving the other to start at zero. So the higher your self-loathing is how much you think you're a monster. Yes. Okay. And your weariness is your... How well can you, you resist. resist the master? Okay. To go ahead and give your characters some flavor, though, we are going to go through our questions that we normally ask. Yeah, okay, that would be good, because that would give me a good idea of which one to do. Carlin. Mm-hmm. The last thought before I fall asleep is... Eventually, all humanity will be dead. Pretty much every night. Okay. Jeff. Oh, was that from a character? That yeah, was so... from a character. <laughs> oh, that was real life. <laughs> well, that could, that crosses over well. <laughs> I'll use that. The last time I remember laughing hard was when? Ooh. Uh, when one of my cohorts broke his leg from falling down the stairs. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> master pushed him. He shouldn't have gotten that close to Master. <laughs> Johnny, I need to be forgiven for pawning the jewels. Ooh. Jeremy, my attitude towards sex is not again. Oh, you're George Clooney? <laughs> Carlin? I'm so hideous, the girls won't leave me alone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would be crushed if anyone knew that there's an embarrassing reason I lost one of my eyes. Which one? The fourth one or the third one? The second one. Oh, okay. Jeff, the truth about myself that I'm resisting is... 
I'm fond of dogs. That's an odd one, but okay. Johnny. I fear that when people look at me, they see... His eye. <laughs> Actually, I like that one. <laughs> uh, Jeremy. I used to believe that... Uh, I used to believe that everyone deserves happiness. That's depressing. Well, we are horrible, despicable minions. Well, I mean, it could be that I just believe some certain type of people don't deserve happiness, so I'm going to take it. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take that happiness. It's mine now. (laughs) Carlin. Yeah. If I were to tell the truth, the consequence would be... I'd lose my other eye. (laughs) (laughs) Potentially, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'll go with that. (laughs) Jeff. Yeah. Something I expect from others is... Screams. Johnny. My perfect day would be... (laughs) A day without master. Jeremy, mm-hmm. my childhood dream was an extra. My childhood dream was to burn down the castle. Yes, Carlin. When I want to comfort myself, I remember that I'm not the worst of my surroundings. Jeff, the most cowardly thing I've ever done is hesitate to listen to master. Johnny, you would never know this by looking at me, but... I have high ambitions. Jeremy, Mm -hmm. I feel trapped when... I feel trapped (laughs) when the master wears my face. Mm. That's messed up. Ooh, I feel trapped when the master wears my mom's face. (laughs) Andy's coming on to you. Oh! (laughs) Not again! (laughs) Well, that explains things. <laughs> Not again. That, that is cool. twisted. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Probably take a lot of showers. No amount of scrubbing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> All right, how do we feel? Got it. Awesome. I feel disgusting. You yep, should. I do. Well, it's time to start the game. <laughs> well, now, now we need to go ahead and talk about a break, and then when we come <laughs> back, we're going to discuss more than and less than human. As a geek with a life outside of gaming, it can be hard to stay informed. The Sometimes Geek Podcast is your weekly update of all the major video game news, brought to you with the insight of an everyday gamer. Episodes are kept short and to the point, so you have more time to spend playing games instead of reading about them. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and at sometimesgeek.com. The Sometimes Geek Podcast, because we can't be geeks all the time. All right, and we are back. Thank you for listening to the back half of this. More than and less than human. A defining characteristic of minions is that their nature is on one hand very much greater than normal men, and on the other hand very much less. A minion's unique manifestation of this dualism is described by two statements. A more-than-human statement and a less-than-human statement. Written by the character as a part of the generation. Less-than-human should describe an excessive crippling limitation qualified by the very narrow except or unless condition. 
So, for example, the character is mute except when singing hymns. Or walks with an uncontrollable limp, moving slowly and awkwardly, except when swinging from the ropes in rafters of the belfry. Or will transform into a stone every evening unless fed by a child that day. That's oddly That's specific. Yeah, they're very, 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 very specific. That's, yeah. More than human is essentially something that's the opposite of that. Like kind of superhuman? Right. In a sense. It describes a more powerful and surreal ability. It is automatically successful and impressive outside of the scope of the except unless condition. Within the scope of except unless, the minion is understood to have an ordinary level of human ability. So, for example, powerfully truthful and persuasive, except between midnight and 2 a.m., or can heal the sick with the power of his mind, except not animals. Okay. I guess we just write that on our... Yep, that would be written on that more than human spot and less than human spot. So my more than human is can see great distance, except through smoke. Okay. So, like, if there's a fire and there, it's a really yeah, smoky fire... puts it into my sight. Does that make you blind? Or no, it doesn't make me blind. Just, with just that's the barrier of my distance I can see. Let me ask you this. You have his, his eye. eye. Is it in your head, or do you wear it like as a, a medallion? I was thinking I wear it like a medallion. Okay. I hope it's in some sort of liquid to preserve it. Because I imagine that yeah. actually is what gives you your first No, that's eye. what I was thinking, too. I was like, if I need to see farther, hold it up. Hold it up and place it like on your forehead it's or something. something. Yeah. Cool. That's actually really cool. Yeah. It Examples? was useful when I had it. <laughs> <laughs> So am I more than human? I'm able to sense others' desires, mm. but only if they're sober. <laughs> so like drunk that people, I sense. cannot read drunk people. That actually Your family, makes bro. sense. It's <laughs> <laughs> immediately where I went to. Rosham, bro. <laughs> yeah. So my less than human is I have limited vision, obviously because I only have one eye, unless I'm wearing one of Master's collected faces. Ooh. Which would probably be like a secretive, like I snuck in and stole one of them. Rather fetishistic. Oh, yeah. I can only eat meat, except during a full moon. Ooh. So you're a vegetarian werewolf? <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're I You're a were-rabbit. <laughs> I'm Wallace and Gromit. Alright, so by more than human, is I can hide in any shadow, except during a new moon. Oh. Hmm. That's a good one. And then my less than human is stutters, except when in firelight. Mm. Held by a child. <laughs> <laughs> that last part was a joke. <laughs> he just has a child carrying around behind him at all times. I got one for you, Jeff, if you want it. Low self-esteem, unless you've been beaten up by a child. <laughs> well, I made that child seem rather strong, so now I feel proud yeah. of myself. The child was really happy after he beat me down, so uh, I feel pretty good. Pretty good right now. Well, my more than human is can soothe victims except by candlelight. Mm. Less than? I cannot feel joy unless other feels pain. That's evil. Yeah, That is truly twisted. That is very less than human. Oh, that's interesting. Both of yours have to do with pain. Both of mine have to do with light. Johnny's has nothing to do with each other. Mine either. Mine has to do with his. Yeah. <laughs> Latched your character onto mine. <laughs> like a child. <laughs> have you have you come up with a name yet? One eyed Robert. Three eyed Robert. <laughs> <laughs> One eyed Bob.
Would you like me to read off some some Russian names? Russianish names? Nope, I'm not doing Russian. My name is Barry Turkleton. <laughs> so yeah, the turd. Really? <laughs> <laughs> it would be the Turk. There's no D in there. I'm Gregor Vixalt. Okay. Yuri. That is very Russian name. Yuri. Your last name can be Thra. <laughs> <laughs> the best Russian in a movie was Sean Connery. I thought you were going to say um, John Malkovich in Rounders. <laughs> Pay him. Pay that man his money. Yeah. <laughs> so bad. So bad. I love it though. Oh, maybe that's how my character should talk. <laughs> I, I think that might be hard for our listeners. Yeah, I'm not going to try and, so. and stutter in a Russian accent. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that would cause you to stutter. Yeah, I know. Chekhov uh, Bellini. 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 <laughs> Minion generation entails the player creating two connections, each of which conceives into existence an NPC from town and describes how the minion is connected personally to that character. These relationships are presumed to have for the minion an emotional context of love, protective concern, or curiosity, though the emotion need not be exactly specified. And the relationships are understood to be unrequited at the start of play, or otherwise entirely outside of the awareness of the NPCs. So for an example, a Frankenstein's monster-type minion might have a connection like, my hands are those of the deceased carpenter whose widow lives in town. And it is understood that the minion is somehow emotionally tethered to the widow. A different minion might have a connection like, I love the little girl who plays ball in the cemetery. What's it with little kids all the time? Because little kids are easy to kill and make people feel emotionally manipulated by. And they're creepy. In play, minions will acquire love points attached to their connections when they act on or make overtures related to them. Players will need to track love against their individual connections, even though the only value ever used by the game's resolution mechanics is a minion's total love points across all connections. This is because the death of a connection results in the minion losing the love associated with that character. And because of the initially unrequited stature of connections, minions start with no love. Ooh. Alright, so we're supposed to come up with the name of the connection. The name of the character and then what that connection to that character okay. actually is. Two connections. Oh, okay. You start off with two. I would imagine if the game goes on, you develop connections with other... Okay. Like if we were doing a campaign of this. Carlin, we'll start with you. So the first one is a woman named Talia Sergachev, who is an attractive hat maker Barry feels drawn to when he sees her. So it's a little more of a from afar relationship. Hello? Is it me you're looking for? <laughs> oh, that's another more than human. Can sing very well, but only if it's Lionel Richie. <laughs> As a child. <laughs> the second one. And Petair Tanev. Okay. Who is just an acquaintance who is interesting to me because... As I can sense desires. He has odd desires that I don't pick up on from other people. So that's more of like the curiosity relationship. Okay. Jeff. Olga. She's a masochist. And it was in her presence that I first felt joy. And then uh, my brother Sasha. 
Oh, your brother, huh? Whom I've never met, but have only seen from afar. I'm assuming that he has no knowledge of me whatsoever. Johnny. First, I have Debt Collector Jacobson. That's his first name, Debt Collector? <laughs> yep. What kind of Puritan is this? He helps me build my riches. Mm. And your second? The blacksmith's daughter, Natasha, who I wish to marry. I sense that desire. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so, first one is uh, Misha, a teen street vendor who gave Yuri some food right before he was kidnapped by the master. I'm going to change the wording on that for my own purposes. Okay. Teen street vendor who gave Yuri food before the master adopted him. Well, yes. Okay. You know what? Yeah. That teen street vendor sounds like a Japanese video game. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Okay. And then Alexi, who is a street thug who Yuri has seen pummel many a grown man and just admires him for his violence. Mm. I would probably be a fan of him as well. If for no other reason than to bring me joy. Oh, happy joy. I see <laughs> someone getting beat up by the local street thug. So, so how long before um, Jeff's character starts a fight club in the game? <laughs> just, just sits in the chair like <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Fight for my enjoyment. <laughs> Well, I'm glad he's not our master. So now I'm seeing Jeff's character played by, by Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A lot, of, uh, a lot of character building, a lot of world building in this episode. When we return, you will hear the unraveling of Vasily Petrov. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Bone Thrower's Theater. Our cast is Aaron, Jeff... Jeremy, Johnny, and Jordan. We are releasing this podcast under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. That means that you can share the podcast, but please do not modify it or try to gain financially from it. If you would like to visit our website, you can do so at bonethrowerstheater.com. If you would like to send us an email, you can do so at bonethrowerstheater at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is at bonethrowerstheater. And also you can look us up on Facebook. And until next time, may the bones fall ever in your favor. This has been a Nerd Circle podcast production.